Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Mark Purcell. Each week we discuss different filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. So let me tell you how innocently this episode got started. Uh, A few episodes ago, I was talking to you about what would be my next project and i was telling you i was really interested in doing like a long take oh yeah i couldn't really learn how to do long takes because in the commercial world we don't really do long takes too often if at all just because in 30 seconds you can't really do that great of a take plus also clients want to be able to cut out of things right right Uh, The Perez brothers heard that. They tweeted at me and said, like, speaking of films with longer takes, have you seen the short that won Sundance and sent me a link to Thunder Road? And then I said, yeah, that's exactly the kind of camera work I'm talking about. How the hell do you plan something like this? And then somehow Jim got added to this, uh, the tweet and said, hey, guys, you can just ask me and I'll tell you how it's done. (laughs) So with us today... We got Jim Cummings, the writer, director, and star of Thunder Road, to talk to us about long takes. How's it going? Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop, Hey, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have any intro music or anything like that to play. Yeah, don't play Bruce Springsteen. No? You you must be tired of that. I think I've (laughs) I've heard of other people, like Nick Hornby, who apparently really loves the song, and uh, I, I still feel like I have him beat on how many times... He's heard it. I feel like a lot of people say it's like the song they've heard the most in their lives. I, I don't think anybody comes close to me. How long did it take you to get tired of hearing that song? I'm, I'm actually, it's one of those things when it's like you engage with an awesome piece of artwork, you see something new in it every time or you think about something new every time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really haven't gotten that, that tired of it. It's one of those things like when you make a movie, especially one that's a long take, once it's mm-hmm. done, it's very much done. And then it's like, <laughs> right. cool, um, that, that, was a, that was a chapter of my life. And now I can think about other stuff. Um, I haven't gotten sick of the song. I think it is one of those classics. Maybe I will. I don't know. Yeah, it's a well. It's a great song. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs. And uh, it'll, you know, I listened to it watching the movie. And I was like, oh, man, what a great song. And then so it's already like a song that makes me emotional. And then I watched the movie and then I was like, oh, shit, here we go. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, it hit me hard. But it was great. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So I was looking. I didn't know too much about you before I saw this film. And then I was starting to dig a little bit into who you were. And this is all just based off of IMDb. But it seems like you've had a really busy year have yeah it's been the last year has been the busiest of my life for sure i was um i was a line producer for a while i was working at college humor and uh i was doing branded productions for about Mm. 10 months and they weren't very funny and they weren't very important and then i made thunder road and then i i kind of could do whatever i want which was really freeing and and gratifying um so i've just been doing a whole bunch i've like i've written seven other short films that we've shot over the last several months oh wow um six of which are in a series um for full screen which are all single takes that should be coming out uh in the next year you're like the single take master now i've gotten i've gotten better at it uh Thunder Road, Thunder Road was was a weird one because it's a single take, but 
it's more like a like the filming of like a high school musical or something like that where there's no like tricky camera work it's not all handheld it doesn't like run around and chase people it's just like Mm -hmm. from the back of a church Um, right so yeah but but the the ones that we just shot are all over the place we go like from cars to like convenience stores and like all in single shots it's it was challenging nice and according to imdb you produced three feature films last year is that true? Uh, I think I produced five last year. Five? But, yeah. What wow. the hell, dude? Yeah, I was, uh, well, luckily, one of them, I was just an associate producer on, um, Cresha, uh, the movie that won yeah, South by we Southwest. we just talked, to, our last guest just brought that movie up, so I was surprised to see your name on it. It's, uh, it's a masterpiece. It is, uh, it is a wonderful movie. You guys would dig it. it it's shot in a backyard, basically, at the director wow. and writer and lead, or the one of the actors' houses, and, uh. It's really incredible. It's it's amazing what you can do if you focus on the right stuff. What does that mean, associate producer? I came in, so I saw the cut of it at South by Southwest, and Trey, I, I had known Trey because That's of the, the short. Yeah, Trey Edward Schultz is the director, and I had known him like because we both had a short in the same block at the New Orleans Film Festival oh, okay. when he made the short version of Cretia. And then that was like my favorite film that I'd seen that that season, and so I'd like been pen pals with him basically. And then I'm I, I actually like hung out with him at South by Southwest, and he needed help with sound design, and I knew some of the guys at Skywalker, and so I was like, all right, cool, I'll just hook this up. And then like, it was just such a strange thing. We're having such trouble selling the movie, so I just like came in to like help out as I could. Um, and then it got into con, and then that changed everything. It was neat. Wow. <laughs> then they're like, we don't need you anymore. Then they were like, no, no, no. Then they were like, oh, we'll have international sales on this because of the appeal of Khan. We'll just, now we can sell it a lot easier. And yeah. that, that like completely changed the game of, of us selling the movie. It was great. Nice. Awesome. That's so cool. So you have a production background then. That's like your thing. I do. Yeah. I was a film producer for about 10 years. Wow. Yeah. So that's, Ulrich and I are the same thing. Like I, I work in commercials and Ulrich does... <laughs> What do you? What do you? What well, do you, I don't. I, don't I wouldn't wanna, say it's the same thing because uh, I, I, I like work on small little web videos and videos for small companies and stuff. But uh, not the same as you know, film producing feature films. But uh, but yeah, I mean, production background, I guess. You know, so we're all producers. So, is your goal, Jim, to become like a writer director, or you still enjoy producing? Um, it depends. I was actually. It really depends on the opportunity. Like, I think. I think there's, uh, I guess, like a miscommunication when it comes to winning Sundance. Like, I think a lot of people think that I have, I don't know, the ability to to, to pick that stuff. But I, I don't really care. Like, a, a buddy of mine, Jordan Firstman, just shot a, a film that he was really passionate about. And I came on to be the assistant director just because he needed help because he was acting in it. And he was like, mm-hmm. all right, well, Jim acted in his thing. He kind of knows, like, what that transition is like. Um, so I, I did that for a bit. Um I don't know. I, I mean, really, it's like just helping as much as I can. I feel like that's my job now is like helping out other filmmakers who are struggling because I, I'm not struggling. And it's kind of my job to, to make sure that other people get a solid footing. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's cool. So wait, you're not struggling? Um, I don't think so. Like, damn it. Probably like five <laughs> years ago. I mean, it's still hard. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, like hearing hearing y'all's other podcasts, I feel like. I don't know. I, I'm not a big complainer, and, I, and I'm not saying that you guys are, but there's that line <laughs> from uh, A League of Their Own, the Tom Hanks line about 
hard stuff where uh, he says, uh, are you playing baseball? And she goes, no, I, I quit playing. It, it just got too hard. And he said, <laughs> it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what right. makes it great. Right. I don't know. Right. I, I feel like I feel like no matter what, it's going to be a lot of work. But I feel like I I don't know. I acknowledge the privilege that we get to make artwork every day. Yeah. Yeah. I guess our our angle is that no matter what level you're at in your career, it's always going to be hard. And so it's in a, in a way talking about the struggle and what everyone goes through, like no matter what stage of the game is, you just realize like it's never going to end. The struggle's not going to end. You're, it's just going to keep going. And I'm hoping, and I think it, it helps that the, when in hearing that there's some comfort in knowing that like, you're not alone, that even if you're like struggling, like a lot of people are going to look to you and say, this guy's living the dream. Like he did it. He like he won Sundance. That's what we all want to do. We we just want to make it in the Sundance. But not a lot of us get that opportunity. So what I'm hoping is that you at least can tell us that it's still hard or something. Because if you just if you win Sundance and then everything's easy and you say there's no struggle, then that goes against kind of the the mission of this podcast or the theory, I guess. The theory, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think. Um... I think there are probably bigger voices than mine that have championed that too, of like Mark Duplass at South by Southwest a few years ago right. saying mm-hmm. you should make movies that you can make right now. The cavalry is not coming. Yeah, the cavalry is not coming, exactly. And it's so true. Like, And I feel like there are times where even I tend to fall back on my laurels of like, oh, well, we'll find funding somehow or it'll all come through instead of being like, why am I Why am I not making movies right now? I should just be like making a movie in my backyard. I should make a movie for $1,000 or $2,000 with the location that I have. What am I doing? Why am I imagining I'll be able to make like a big budget kids adventure movie? You know, I should just do mm-hmm. what I'm doing now. Right. Well, I guess the thing that I'm struggling with is just having that kind of focus because... You know, I have a tendency to just take on projects that I can do, you know, and what I'm, I want to make my first feature. That's like my, my dream and been my dream for a while. And I realized I keep on just making short films and getting distracted and pulled away. And I think, I think the only way I'm actually going to get the feature done is if I just focus on it and re- like resist the temptation to make other projects, you know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's just, it's, t- it's, I don't know. It's, I guess it's, it's sort of tough for me to do that, you know. Yeah. I was working full-time at College Humor when I wrote and rehearsed for Thunder Road. I had a full-time job, and I had a a 40-minute commute from West Hollywood, uh, from North Hollywood to West Hollywood, and so that gave me the ability, it was like, you know, almost, it was an hour and a half each day in the car, and I was able to do three rehearsals on the drive there and three rehearsals on the drive back. And then that allowed me to focus on a 13-minute movie, and that was a strain at times. I think the the best thing that I could advise you to do if you're planning on making your first feature is to make a feature beforehand because no matter what it's going to be bad. I uh <laughs> right. I I made a feature in New Orleans in 2009 uh and it's like probably 75 minutes and we cut out a huge amount just because it was boring. I feel like I made every scene mm-hmm. like a short film rather than focusing on sequences, but it took me two years in the editing room working on it by myself to realize what a failure it was. And I'm a much better filmmaker because of it. I would say mm. if you're going to make a feature, make something that you can shoot on the streets for free with people 
that you trust as actors and work inside of the medium of a 90 minute duration because that's an art mm-hmm. form in itself. Yeah, but Quentin Tarantino made Reservoir Dogs without any practice. So why can't we do it? Well, didn't he make a movie first? I heard, I read this in a, shut I up, this in a biography that he made a movie before that. <laughs> no, he did. Then and then he, he burned, burned it. Yeah. And then he made Okay, Reservoir let's Dogs. find another one. Robert Rodriguez made <laughs> okay, his first okay. feature and, and it got picked up like right away. <laughs> Why can't it happen for us, Jim? <laughs> um, I think because of the digital revolution and the digital recession. Mm-hmm. I think because there's so, so much content out there. And uh, I think those guys really struck out and like tried to do something different. And like the, those guys are lauded as really successful juggernauts of early, you know, 90s. Right. At that time, it was impressive just to be able to make a film for like $7,000. Nowadays, it's not that impressive. Yeah. So I think I think what we should be doing instead of thinking about that is like, what, what about those movies compelled people? Like what, like what were the ideas that engaged audiences behind that, that like, you know, what was different about them and then chasing the difference rather than chasing what they did? Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's something about a guitar case full of guns that's just really cool. So I think, you know, <laughs> that right there is like the hook that made El Mariachi work, you know, and then, of course, made a whole other movie after it worked, too. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, here's something that I'm struggling with. So I'm about to release a short film that I've worked on for four years. I don't know how people are going to respond. Um, let's just let's just say that they respond really enthusiastically. It's amazing. Um, So I made a movie, I released it, people responded well, and then the dust settles and the euphoria dies down. And I'm just kind of like left with this feeling of like, all right, well, what does that add up to? Like, why, why am I making movies? What does it matter that I spent four years on this film? Like, what does, why are we doing this? Do you guys have any thoughts on this? I want Jim this? to tackle this because I feel like I've answered questions <laughs> like this before and I want to I hear what Jim has to say. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's a tough one. That's one, I mean, that's a deeper one. That's one about existentialism and like, you know, wh- what is the point of anything? Like, what is the point of, of <laughs> having a conversation? Welcome like, to my like life. Of, of art. And I'm, I'm down. Like, I, I, I definitely think about that a great deal and I did for a long time um mm-hmm. and I was making movies I was making short films from like 2010 to like 2015 probably that were really cool but they didn't really connect with people because of the way that they were made and the content was neat but I didn't really have any creative control over it and so that kind of primed me to think differently about the creation of film of like engaging with an audience and giving them ammunition to cope with problems that come into their lives. Uh, and then also making them laugh, like focusing on what audiences laugh at and then melding those two. I think that's like the job of the filmmaker is to make something important to people. Um, I have this uh, interesting story. I, I, I after making Thunder Road, I've like, you know, met a bunch of people that really liked it for its comedy and really liked it because it's heartbreaking at times. Or they connected with it. This one dude pulled me aside and said that he saw the film at South by Southwest and had to like walk around by himself for like twenty five minutes. 
and then got a pirated copy of it to send to his mom to like <laughs> connect with her and like used that as a as the ability to like That's connect cool. with someone that you know the film meant that much to him and now he's now he's a buddy of mine now he's just like a cool dude that that has good has good ideas um yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably why we do that, right? I mean, so like, how many how many people does it need to touch and impact in that way to make our time and effort and the money we spend <laughs> worth it? Yeah, the money we spend issue is a tough one because <laughs> you'll never make it back. Short films are more like you'll never make it back. Like, there's no way. There's yeah. just not enough. Like the Vimeo tip jar just doesn't. It you know. I, <laughs> I think from all of our movies, we've made like five, we made five Deutschmarks from a German dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't work. Um, I don't know. I think short films should be these things that you want to, little ideas that you want to put in other people's heads. And I don't know. I, uh, I don't know why it's worthwhile. I think it's, it's just a funny, like really deep down for me, I just really enjoy impressing people. Like, I love making something that people are like, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe you did that. And so, like, I don't know, I, uh, like, that's the stuff that I really respect with comedy. Like, Chris Lilly is a hero of mine, this dude that made Summer Heights High and, uh, and, uh, We Can Be Heroes, and, and he, for his HBO show, Angry Boys, is in blackface. He plays this, like, this black rapper, and he's just this white Australian dude, and it's like, I don't understand how people aren't talking about this. Like, this is, like, this is crazy <laughs> that somebody was able to pull that off, and, uh, I don't know. I just like, I think that that's something that engages me, like free speech. And we're so lucky that, that we live in a country where you can say whatever the fuck you want. And like, I don't know, that, that is an incredible thing in itself. That is a reason to do it. Yeah. uh, To answer your earlier question, Timothy, I think if you just reach one person, or at least for me personally, if I, if a movie I make impacts one person, that's enough for me, you know, because it's pretty special when someone tells you that this, your movie made them think this or react in this way or whatever it is, you know, even sometimes if a movie I make pisses someone off, I feel like that's, you know, pretty powerful, <laughs> really? you know, and, uh, yeah. cause it's, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, ah, uh, yeah. You just want people to feel something. Yeah. Or I don't know, or just, yeah, exactly. Cause like, I, I mean, you know, this is pretty much what Jim's saying, but it's like, you know, movies have meant so much to me growing up and through my life. And I've had very emotional experiences from watching movies as a kid and as an adult and, and just growing up. And I feel like right. I just want to have that same impact on someone else, you know, uh, through my movies and, and continue that tradition of making the kind of movies that, that I, lo- that I react to strongly, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'll buy in, I'll buy off on that one. That'll keep you off the ledge for a bit. <laughs> Timothy's yeah. always on the ledge. I'm always on the ledge <laughs> on something. He's always, we, we started podcasting. He's just like, yeah, I don't know what, if it's all worth anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then the next week he'll be like, hi, oh, I'm really excited about you know, this other project I'm working on. And then he's like back on. And then like two weeks later, he's like, oh no, I just, uh, like I don't know why I'm doing this again. It's just back and depressive yeah. personality. <laughs> yeah, do you take B vitamins? No, should I? Yeah, you should. I, I I used to think that I was manic depressive for a long time, and then I just found out once I drank a, a Red Bull, I was like, "Why do I feel so happy?" And it was because I there's so much B vitamin in that, and I now it was I take a caffeine. One, I take a supplement. No, 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 it's not. It's not caffeine because I drank coffee every day too. Hmm. Um, but no, I, I took a B vitamin, uh, and now I take it once a week, and it's incredible. And it's like it lifts my spirits. Yeah. Oh. I'm in. So, so Jim, quick question, and I think you kind of glossed over this earlier, but like, so, so since Sundance, have have you been able to like 
just sort of work on on narrative filmmaking full time? Has that just been what you've been doing since then? Um, yeah, I, I've actually it's weird. So like because of the way that the industry works at my level, it's um I get. I have to turn down a lot of stuff because of my schedule, which is kind of terrible. I hate to do it. Um, but a lot of the stuff that's happening now are like big projects that I'm pitching for. So like we'll, we'll spend two or three weeks developing a treatment for a TV show and it'll be me and my co-writers and we'll work our asses off on it. Like it's a research paper. And then we go and we like try and package it with my agents and stuff like that. Um, and so I'm kind of in between these big projects that could happen, but I'm not really making any money. So it's, so like I kind <laughs> of do take on like commercial stuff or like I, I try out to act because I really love doing it. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess the majority of it is narrative. Yeah. It, I, I do get to just work in narrative. That's awesome, man. That's sweet. I, I love the idea of just being able to jump on a friend's movie and like assistant direct for them for, for a project or, you know, fill in this gap here for a project. I think that's awesome. I mean, I'd love the opportunity to do that. I mean, you know, I've, I've been a script supervisor on a couple of projects, you know, and, and that's not really the same because it's more like I'm kind of just coming in as a crew member and not really like doing it with a buddy or anything. But, uh, I've done that on the short level before, but I, I imagine doing it on the feature level would be really fun just to like, you know, go help your friend live their dream and, you know, work it out or whatever. It sounds cool. I remember uh, seeing the Daniels speak at their Q&A for Swiss Army Man, and they said that um, it was like the second day of production. Uh, Shane Carruth showed up on set because like one of the producers is working on his new movie. And uh, and they turned to each other like, what the fuck is Shane Carruth doing here? <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. Like, what, like I, I'm now stressed out because he's going to like judge my directing. Mm-hmm. And he ended up like carrying C stands for like oh, wow. seven days straight just to see how they work. And then they cast him in the movie. They were like, oh, we still have this like coroner position that we haven't casted yet. You should do it. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, do we like make this guy carry C stands still or do we cast this guy that we know can act? And it was like, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Like, it should be like summer camp, these productions. Yeah, totally. How do you make a living at it though? Because it seems like it's really hard to get paid to do this. I don't know. That budget was like, I think it was like a $3 million movie to do it. I think, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then those guys do like commercials and music videos on the side. They made right. turn down for what? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think, I think commercials is kind of the way to do it. I, I, I know that a bunch of different companies supplement their narrative stuff and fund their narrative stuff through, through commercials. Mm-hmm. Are you signed with a commercial production company? I'm not. I, I really would love to. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to people, but um, most of the stuff that I've gotten has just been through... I, I like ran a little production house that was also a little boutique ad agency, and uh, we just like reached out to clients through that, and so that's where oh, cool. most of my work comes You should through. talk to uh, Community Films, because they have Jared Hess on their roster. Oh, I and, love him. He's doing the yeah. new um, Shanghai Noon movie. Oh, really? That's the Jackie Chan one? Yeah, he's doing a, a third installment, yeah. Oh, wow, cool. Dude, that's exciting. I would love to see that. Yeah, Nacho Libre is really great. So shall we get on to the main, the main business here, the reason why Jim Let's, is on the show? Yeah, yeah. I think we, we've gone far away from why you're on here. So um, Thunder Road is one single 12-minute take. 
And it's a good, it's a really well choreographed take. And so let's talk about how you pulled that off and uh, how it came together. So like, did you start with the performance first or the camera first? Like, how do you start with the long take like this? Yeah, I, uh, I started with performance. It was, it was a dude... It started out with a with a guy with an with an American accent, not not a Southern accent, and it was just this thing that I would do as like a traveling performance art thing, where I was just like doing it in my car on the way to work, and then it was like I, I would record the good stuff on my phone and then transcribe it into screenplay format later that night in like this sad dark apartment. Um, and so it was like this weird side project that I was doing. Did you know you were going to make a movie out of it or you just were having fun with it? I, I did. Not really. So I, I usually do that with a bunch of projects at once. And then I, it was just like I was in a hot tub with a buddy of mine and he told me a story about um, the uh, a friend of his that sang a song at a funeral. And I was like, oh, my God, what did that sound like? Do you have, Does anybody <laughs> film that? And he said, no, yeah. why would somebody film that? Like, of course, nobody would film that. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Fuck me. Um and so because of that, I was like, well, maybe we should. Maybe like, that'd be a neat monologue. And then that just became an idea. Anyway, um, <laughs> I was working on it. And then I was like, I was doing it in my car. And it was making me laugh and cry. And I was like, there's something to this. This could be really moving for somebody. And it's like a neat performance piece. And then I tried to cast people to act in it. And then it, that gradually just became me because I realized it was going to take forever to work, to like rehearse with an actor and nobody was going to care about it as much as I did. Um, and so I was like, cool, I'll just do it. And I filmed myself in my basement uh, and sent it to the DP. And he was like, yep, that's, you're good. You should, you should do it. And then he had just moved to LA. His name is Drew Daniels. He also shot Cresha. And uh, he was looking for something cool to do. And I said, let's do it. And then he came over and we spent like two weeks uh, talking about how we were going to shoot it. And I gave him an idea of what it was going to look like, just like with the dolly push in and the zooms and all that stuff. And then he was like, well, it's going to be really boring if we just zoom in on you. Is there any way we can like cut and then show the audience? But that was kind of that was like a point of contention for me because I didn't want to show the audience, the short film audience, how they should feel. Right. Um, so you already, you had already imagined it as one take. Yeah. So, so basically like as, as soon as I really had it in the car, I realized that I was going to be able to do it all the way through in one go. And I was Why, like, Why cool. though? I mean, I feel like that's such a bold decision to, to say, I'm going to do this in one take. Like, had you seen other movies that had done a single take that you wanted to emulate or you just thought that the, emotion of this particular piece would work better as one take uh many reasons um the first is i knew that it would get me to talk to you guys um, <laughs> oh yeah the, you didn't even have a podcast then <laughs> I, I i mean like i mean like it would have been very challenging and people would have respected it if i did yeah, it in one take right um right and right. then secondly psychologically obviously like Children of Men, the long takes in that are oh phenomenal. Oh my god, they're um, so good. That then, one in the car with all the they're yeah. being attacked by the motorcycles. Yeah, and then like even his other stuff, Itumama Tambien, and then Gravity, mm-hmm. and like I don't know, I'm just a big fan of of doing long takes because it's challenging, um, and also there's no editing. It's just like 
you, the images kind of like waft over you. And psychologically, I think it's different for an audience member to watch a longer take because they're not thinking about what the filmmaker is trying to tell them or they're, they're thinking about that less. It's more like we're just watching this tightrope and like watching these real things happen. So it makes you feel a lot more present in the audience of the funeral home, which was important to me. Um, I don't know. I, I I feel like if it had been cut together, if we shot multiple takes and we tried to put it together, it would just be this like weird short film about a funeral. And uh, <laughs> instead, it's like this. It's just this thing that you like is just horrifying and like funny and uncomfortable and uh, says a lot about mortality and America. Yeah, it's a moment. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I think the way it works in your film is that it it's you can't look away, right? There's no relief from it that you're constantly just on this guy in this really awkward moment. And I do I do like that you don't show the audience and and because of what you said like letting us know how to feel. We are in the I mean you put us in the same seat as the audience. So we're seeing what they see, but it's not just a, a camera that's sitting there like you're moving it in and yeah. it's a very slow move and you get to a close up on your face like at an emotional moment and that that has so much power in it. I think if you would have stayed wide um and I've heard comedy directors talk about this staying wide is kind of how you play out comedy because things are funny or wide, but the fact that you go in close, you allow it to have like this resonance to it. So did you know emotion wise, like how it would play out in one long take like that? Or did that surprise you at all? Yeah. I mean, you're getting closer to the guy like emotionally and physically, like the fact that we're zooming in like that, that's what that, that's what that cinemagraphic trick does. Mm -hmm. It's like, and then to do it that slow, it's indicative of the dialogue, too. You don't realize you're getting that close to him, and then you're right on him. And it's like, oh, wow, I feel like I know this guy by this point. And then we zoom out again to show his, like, ridiculous dance. And then we zoom <laughs> right. in on him again at the end when he's sitting with his daughter. And we realize that he's he's fucked up this relationship just like his mom did or he did with his mom. Um yeah, all of that was in the DNA of the project. All of that was like very considered beforehand. Okay, and then and, let's and talk. How, oh, go ahead, oh, Rick. I was curious, like how plotted out were the were like the the timing of the zooms? Like, did you know exactly when you wanted it to be like on the close up and all that stuff, or did you kind of let uh, Drew play with it, or was it kind of like really? like planned out it from was, the beginning. It was planned. Um that stuff was more planned on the day. I uh I knew what it was going to be, but then it really took physicalizing it of getting the dolly into place and like we knew it was going to be a dolly push in until I said um until I stopped for a second and say uh I uh I held the door open for somebody this morning and I got angry that they didn't say thanks. Like that is a quiet moment where he's gone off the rails and realizes I'm not as good as my mom. And like, that is his first real considerate moment about where he fits into this equation and how he messed things up. And the camera starts to zoom in on him at that moment. So we reserved the zoom for that moment. So it's a dolly in nice. until then, and then a zoom and then a zoom back out and then a zoom in again during the, like, it's just like, 
it's it's very considered but we did that that morning of like this is when is a good time to move and stuff drew is an absolute genius drew like was a dream to work with and is so smart and so cool and yeah he's he's the reason why the movie's that good Let's talk about your conversation with Drew. So you were telling us early on that he was trying to talk you out of the single take. He, no, he was he was trying to talk. He, he wanted to have coverage of the audience as like a breath because cinematically shooting the audience would be a nice breather for the short mm. films audience to be like, okay, we're not looking at this guy the whole time. <laughs> for 12 um, minutes. For 12 minutes. <laughs> um and so that was a nice relief. And he and I compromised uh, by showing the ex-wife. That pan over when I do the dance move with my hand, and then it pans over to show the ex-wife, and her reaction is enough. It's just three small reactions. She, look, mm-hmm. she looks down the pews and then at the daughter and then squints at me. Like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. Um, and that is enough of an audience reaction. And every time, if you're in an audience, people laugh at that. And it's just like three small facial expressions and uh, that are barely noticeable. Um, yeah, and so that was the thing that we compromised on. And that, that we came up with, I think it was like, two or three days before it was like cool we'll do that and melissa the actress that plays the ex-wife is just very very talented and very minimal in her performances and it was great yeah that moment was really nice because it's sort of like well for me at least i was really buying into the whole performance you know and 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 the lead character like i was in his head with him and then panning over to the the ex-wife it's just like you know this is really ridiculous (laughs) <laughs> like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be as emotionally connected to this as as I am. Like right. this is he. Maybe he shouldn't be doing this, right? Because you know? at that point in the story, I know how I feel, and it's good to just see for a second, like how the other people in that scene feel. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It was it was interesting. It kind of like you know made me realize what like maybe you'll be aware of the audience, I guess, in a way, which is exactly what, that's what you it. just said. That and that's the yeah. job of the filmmaker of like yeah. what wh- at what part of the roller coaster is the audience gonna be on at every second? And like mm-hmm. it, will that be a nice relief for them to see somebody not engaging in it how they think people might be and like <laughs> or how how he right. would hope people would. And uh <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really funny thing to do with an audience, like to plan that out. And then when it happens and like everybody laughs, it's just it's a really great thing. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to say about the long take is that it's it's not at all what I expected, because I mean, these days, long takes are, are getting really popular and you see them in every movie now. And it's almost like people are trying to get more fancy and more clever with their long takes. And I mean, not to say that your long take isn't clever in a way, but it's, it's really simplistic, I guess, without, I hope that doesn't come off as offensive. It's just like, you know, you're just moving in and out, but you're letting the audience take in the performance. You're not like distracting us by trying to be, really clever with where the camera's going and sweeping in between audience members and sweeping out in and out. Right. It's not a visual effects gag where you're like, how do they do that? It's just a very simple, straightforward execution. And it's all performance, you know? And I think that's why it works so well is because you got the timing and you focus in on the performance and you're, and you're guiding us, but in a very gentle 
way where it really lets it be the moment that y- that you've created like this like little weird film moment you know thank you yeah anyways <laughs> yeah no um I, I yeah i'd like to carry that out to like not just about long takes but just from from short filmmaking perspective a lot of the films that won at sundance this year and at south by southwest were all single location films like mm. maman which is an amazing film that won for international best shorts this year at sundance um and just won at the shortlist film festival as well uh, is this masterpiece about this girl living in the projects in france and a and a three-parent family and it's really amazing but it all takes place in an apartment i think there's something to handcuffing a filmmaker to a single location that forces them to focus on the right stuff like performance and sound design and all the stuff that you don't get from more locations than one that's awesome i mean it's funny that that those are the movies that are winning because that's like kind of the challenge of like either working on on a low budget or just being you know working in the short format is often you don't have time or money to go to more than one location so it's really like you're trying to answer the question, like, what can I do in this one space that's really interesting? <laughs> and so it's right. funny. It's like the people who are getting recognition are the ones who've cracked it. You know, they figured it out how to tell a great story in one, one space. I think it, we see a lot of single location movies that are like thrillers or horror movies, but it, it seems like it's harder to do with drama. Yeah. yeah. But it shouldn't be because a lot of plays take place in like one room, yeah. one location. Cretia is a single location. Cretia is one house in texas and it's really great um arguably a horror film but yeah it's a (laughs) yeah it is it is probably a drama that's funny it's like yeah hearing about this movie from our our last guest that we had who actually isn't going to be on until after this episode i think actually no she'll be on first she'll be on okay And, and then hearing from you and then yeah, seeing like that you're, it's just really interesting i gotta see this movie it's on itunes it came out on itunes two weeks ago oh really I yeah, no you guys are late now. to the game. You gotta see this movie. Yeah, no, what the hell? So what are we doing? <laughs> we were watching like horror movies and sci-fi movies. Yeah, and, your podcast yeah, should be well. called "Watching Movies Is Hard." <laughs> <laughs> watching movies is hard. There's so many movies, you know. I just spent the weekend watching like The Howling and How is that? Uh, I'm, I'm doing American Werewolf in London. I'm doing a werewolf thing next. How is The Howling? Oh, Howling's okay. American Werewolf in London is awesome. It's great. What are some other good werewolf movies? What Silver Bullet by Stephen King? I haven't seen that one. Maybe I just it's a pretty good one. There's this one I can't remember what the heck the name is, but it's a it's it's a newer one that came out in a few year a few years ago, uh, starring Ethan Embry, and it's about like an old man. It's who's, the blind uh, guy, right? The blind guy, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's supposed to that, be pretty good. I started it, it good. and then couldn't finish it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked. It. I saw it in Toronto at um, the After Dark Film Festival over there. It was really fun. Oh, cool. Uh yeah. Um, anyways, long take. So I, I, this is interesting because it's like I don't know where this discussion is gonna go, but like, like what, what do you guys think justifies doing a long take? Is it, is it all? Does it all come back to story and performance, or like why should long takes exist? Yeah, and then the argument comes up of what is a long take. I don't know, man. You, you see, like, <laughs> you see movies like Rope or like. Mm-hmm. You know, Itumama Tambien, like, arguably that has longer takes. Any Tarkovsky movie, um, I don't know. I think, 
I think it's always shocking to me. It's, it's a kind of the same argument. People come up to me and they're like, how did you memorize all of that? And I'm like, it's 12 minutes. Have you never seen a play? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like we forget so quickly. Um, our attention spans are so short and we, yeah, it's, it's, um, I don't know, dude, I don't know when it's justified. I think, uh, I think it was certainly justified in those two scenes in Children of Men. Um, I think it was certainly justified in Gravity. I don't know. I mean, like really screenwriting, if it's, if it's continuous dialogue or if it's continuous action, fucking go for it. See how long you can push it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say justified is probably the right word. I think it's more of like when should you use a long take? And I would say if you ever want something to feel more real, because that's it's it's more like experiencing life in that you don't cut away. Um, there's a few movies I've seen recently that the entire movie is one single take. One of them's called Victoria, about this girl in a club that gets picked yeah. up by these guys and then gets wrapped up in this whole like um, bank heist. And it's an hour and a half of real time, and it just feels real. It's like you're, you feel like you're living the story with her. That's great. And then the other that's a little bit more complicated um, is Enter the Void, mm. where it's a guy who gets killed, and you, the camera is the his disembodied soul, and he like experiences the afterlife in this really weird, trippy movie. Huh. Is that all one shot? It's all it's all one shot. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I gotta watch that. I, yeah, I, I guess it's like I guess there are cuts in it though because it does some flashbacks to like to some of his childhood memories. Oh, but cool. for the most part, it's yeah, it's one long take. Cool. I have to see that. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm. He's one of those filmmakers, Gaspar Noé, of like I don't I I respect him as a filmmaker and I'm glad that someone is making movies like that. I do not enjoy watching his movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I I did I turned off Enter the Void when I first started watching it cuz like the first 20 minutes is just him getting high and experiencing was it DHC is that the drug where you like DMT. disappear for a few minutes? Uh, DMT. He takes DMT and the first 20 minutes of the movie is pretty much him tripping on DMT and then he wakes up and then it like kind of goes off and it gets better from there. Um, mm. But Cameron, who edits the podcast sometimes, convinced me to watch it. So I watched the whole thing through. And it's an interesting experience, but I can't say that I enjoyed it. But it did. It, it is going to stick with me. It's like one of those movies that's hard to get out of your head. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I can tell you when a take is justified, but I can tell you when it's annoying. Um, is like when <laughs> like, I was watching a movie with a friend of mine at a film festival a while ago and the opening shot is, well, I don't know if it's the opening shot, but it's like one of the early shots of the movie. And basically it's like following the lead character as they go into a house and then it just like follows the character around. And then you meet every character in the movie at this barbecue and like each person, like first person. Style? Yeah. Kind of like over shoulder turning into first person and then back to over, over the shoulder step thing. But it's like the same one, one or one take steady cam shot that you've seen in like a thousand movies where it's like, you know, it goes through, through the room gives you a moment with each character and then wraps back around and it's like there were there was not really any motivation for it there was no reason it was just there because it was like oh this is a cool way to, to introduce the characters and i just feel like you know maybe this is a judgy thing to say but it's like <laughs> you know maybe maybe we should be thinking about things that haven't been done or if we're going to be doing something there should be like a strong reason 
to be doing it. And if there's not a, if it's not motivated by character, motivated by story, maybe it should be rethought, you know? I think for me is if it's an intellectual thing and it's like, oh, look how clever that shot is, then it doesn't work. I think it has to be emotional. And I think that's why it works in Jim's movie. And I think in all the, the cases that we've referenced before and gravity and, and uh, children of men. I mean, those are very emotional reasons to use a single take. Although I think you could argue that the, the long take that's famous in mean streets is not super emotional. That's more clever, but right. You know, it's, I don't know. I guess it's, it just comes down to everybody's taste and preference. I mean, that's just all filmmaking is anyways, right? It's just your own preference and your own taste. And right. some people might have liked that long take that you didn't like. Yeah, that's true. I love what I do love is like when you didn't even notice you're in the long take. Like, I don't know if you guys I saw Creed, but like. There's like one of the yeah. fight scenes in Creed in the middle and there's like, it's all one right. take and I didn't even notice it until after it was over. I was like, wait, what? Did they not cut the whole time? Holy <laughs> shit. That was amazing. You know, it just kind of blows your mind. So I think those kinds of things where it's like, it just feels right for the moment. You know, I think that that's where it works really well. So talking to, you've done some other long takes now, right, Jim? Or are you writing stuff that has long takes in it uh both i just uh, i just did six more single take episodes for full screen um that are really really funny and really weird and uh and neat and compelling yeah i mean like i we didn't do it as like a a novelty one of them is about a uh a native american doing stand-up comedy for the first time and so (laughs) like we like follow him into the like cowboy open mic and it's like really he like does not want to do it and then he's like i gotta get out of here and then the dude on stage is like john you're up next come on up and then like he comes up and does this painful like six minute set that's just really i mean passive aggressive anti-comedy about what white people did to the natives and it's uh it's neat and that's just this one long take it's like 10 minutes following this dude around in these awesome minutes of his life and, uh, so that sounds like a long take for the for a, an effect of it being awkward. Yeah, yeah, and then and then like tension as well. I think long takes mm-hmm. add tension for sure. Like the movies that we just cited of Children of Men and and uh, really every everything. Like when you're watching a movie, there's that scene in Children of Men. It's a long shot of him walking out of the house. Yeah, uh, and he's in his socks. And then he's in mud, and then the guys have guns, and he's trying to sneak into the car to start it. And, like, all of that, you're just like, Jesus, this poor guy. And, like, (laughs) if you would cut it up, it wouldn't be as as compelling. You're not there with this guy crouching down behind a car Mm -hmm. and, like, knowing what you have to do right before dawn to, like, get away from these dudes. Like, you're there with him, and the long take adds to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another one we didn't talk about is from Notorious, a uh, Hitchcock movie from the 50s, I think. And there's one really long scene in that. I don't remember how long. I think it's like maybe eight minutes or 10 minutes or something. But it's in a really tense, like it's the most tense part of the movie. And having that long take like really like locks you in that that that, right. that moment. You just want relief. Like just cut away, cut away to something. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. So... I was going to ask, like, uh, with some of your other experience with long takes, with yours, you started with the performance first. 
do you recommend people who want to do long takes start with performance and then block the camera around the performance? Or is it kind of like a little bit of both? I guess it's a little bit of both. We started with writing, really, which is performance for us. The way that we write Mm -hmm. is just, um, we call it write rehearsals, which means like we'll rehearse the scene out as the writers being the actors and then we we like do a bunch of improv and then find the best thing and then because all the writers that i work with are great actors too and uh and then we just like make each other laugh and then whatever sticks we write down in final draft um so yeah i don't know like I, i think really starting with performance because the performers are the are the film editors in long takes they're the ones like literally their footsteps and how fast they walk between the scenes is how fast we transition between sequences and that's only something that you would give to an editor so you have to Mm -hmm. kind of work with the actors from the outset Um, we had rehearsals with actors weeks in advance because we knew we were going to have to give them the script fit it to them so that it worked and then let them run away for a week and memorize everything and make it perfect. And then we could come in and do tweaks. Um, yeah, with long takes, you have to rely on awesome actors. Unless you're filming, like, Leviathan, the documentary, is on a crab fishing boat. And it has a bunch of long takes. And, yeah, I, I don't know what made that work. <laughs> <laughs> but if you get to, like, a more complicated take, like the the ones in both Thunder Road and then the the stand-up comedy one, it's like you have a character that just kind of plants themselves in the middle of the room. And I'd say the choreography on that seems a lot more simple than something where the character has to move from place to place to place. I'm wondering, like, how do you set a bunch of marks up for an actor and not make it feel staged and make them look like they're just kind of uncomfortable. I mean, the, there's some great shots in in Spielberg movies where he choreographs the actors moving into frame. So he just has like one shot where it moves from wide shot to close up to a two shot to a three shot to a single. And it's just, it's the less about the camera moving and more about the actors moving into their, into different marks. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, it's just like theater or something like Mm-hmm. With, with doing long takes with ensemble casts or we had one of the episodes is this girl who smokes meth in an uber and then robs a convenience store so we had to go from <laughs> the uber to the inside of the store and then her dodging crossbow arrows from this guy who's behind the counter oh, and like all wow. of that and like the magnets have to stick into her, the actress, so that it looks like an arrow is sticking out of her side. And like <laughs> yeah. all of those things, that's all just special effects. It's just like, I mean, it's practical effects. We did it really, but like just having a team that you trust, having like the coordinator and and the production assistants there with the squirt gun to hit her with fake blood and like all of that stuff. It is just a ballet and it's just rehearsal. It's just like getting there on the morning and being like, all right, this is the size of the aisle that you've been imagining crawling down for the last two weeks. You, you work it out. And we worked with the actress and she was amazing. And like, yeah, that's it. Just trusting your actors, like, like giving that work to them and saying, this is where the camera is going to be. You're going to have to turn to us like you have to drop your shoulder like this, like all of that stuff is what the acting is. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's that job. I guess I'm always so afraid that like you're if the more direction you give an actor, like the the less 
spontaneous a performance is going to feel. Yeah, I don't know. I rehearsed Thunder Road like a thousand times in my car. I think there's something to like, and, and that's that feels real because of the way I rehearsed it. Like, I, it feels real because I cut myself off halfway through sentences and I speak like humans speak when they're nervous. And like, mm-hmm. that was all very rehearsed. Actually, the only lines that are different in Thunder Road uh, in that take that were different from other takes was th- this line I say, we got people here. As are like, you know, f- we got people here. We got four words that are different between the takes. It's like, <laughs> like everything else is exactly how it is between the takes. Like, it has to be that well rehearsed if you're doing a single take. Mm. And how many takes do you do? For Thunder Road, we did six full takes. Two of them we had to cut short because people were laughing. Um, and then, <laughs> which two were those? The first? Uh, no, it was it was like basically when it was like the third and fourth time we hit record. Um, and I was doing this thing with the girl. I was talking about the girl that has Down syndrome, and uh, I did this like I said she would just come out at you. She'd just bite at you out of the dark. And like did like this claw hand thing and like held it up and then looked at it and then put it behind my back as if like I was hiding the fact that I was doing this disabled hand thing. (laughs) And uh, it was just so funny that we ended up cutting it from the movie because it was like people couldn't keep their shit together. It was all like Craigslist (laughs) actors and like people that came in to help out. And it was just so ridiculous. And uh it was already ridiculous enough, so we, I got rid of the hand gesture. And and what take did you end up using in the final piece? The last one we shot, we shot six full ones, and the sixth one was the one that we used. And it was uh, the first one that I saw that day. I kept on, I kept coming back to Drew and saying, "How how'd you do?" He's the the DP, and uh, and he was like, "It's good. I'd like to do another one." And I would keep saying, "I can do it better. I can do it better. I can do it better." And then on the sixth one. I was like, that felt really good. And he goes, I think we got it. And then, like, we watched it, and all of the actors took a break. All the background actors took a break, and we just watched it. And it was like, every little moment worked. It was like, cool, we're done. Let's get out of here. Wow, that's, cool. that's awesome. That's kind of, I had an experience where I I just wanted to practice having actors do it over and over and over again. Because you hear stories like, David Fincher does 50 takes. And it's like, how could that work? 99. And so I ended up doing 29 takes on this little 15-second commercial. And it did get better. It got better and better and better. And I, and when I finished the spot, I, the take that I used was one of the last ones the, where we got more and more refined and closer to what we wanted to get. That's great. Yeah, yeah. For the, the opening scene of The Social Network, they shot it 99 times. And it was only oh because <laughs> he, he kept promising that it wasn't going to go to 100. Yeah, I because wow. I was always curious. Like, does did he do that to fatigue the actors, or was it really just to like make it muscle memory, and they just weren't thinking anymore? I was just like, uh, what do you think it is? Like, is there maybe it's a mixture of both? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That guy is is really interesting. I love his work. Uh, I, I met the guy on Benjamin Button. I'm from New Orleans, and he just like. Mm-hmm he came to new orleans right after katrina and so there wasn't a whole lot of infrastructure set up to shoot a movie and so i got to be like a set contact and just hang out on set for that movie and uh yeah he's an interesting guy he's uh he's obviously the best probably the best living director he's really super talented i've never seen a bad movie from him Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know what that is. I, I, I don't know what that... I don't know if that's like megalomania or like dictatorship <laughs> or just like trying to teach actors something like in the opening... I think that was like one of the first things that they shot. So like, I don't know if that was just like getting them ready for the project and saying right. like, hey, this, mm-hmm. th- this is the worst night of the shoot. You got to give well, me... Well, and also like that sweater. script was notoriously too long, but he didn't want to cut anything. He just said that everyone would speak faster. And so I think especially in that first scene, like he's probably get, trying to get the rhythm down. Well, what happened was he... Oh, this is what I've heard. He The, the script is 300 pages and... Uh, or something like that. And uh, the studio said, we're not doing another three-hour David Fincher movie. And he said, <laughs> he said the writer can read it in under two. And they said, <laughs> they said, bullshit. And he said, get him on the phone. And Aaron Sorkin and he sat there while he read the social network to the studio in under two hours. And he was like, they were like, cool, let's, let's do it. Fine. Wow. Amazing. I didn't hear that story. Yeah. So, so one one last question. Uh, go ahead, Alric. I'm probably gonna ask the same last question yeah. you are. You 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 go. I was gonna ask about lighting. Yep. on Long takes. <laughs> like, so is there anything special you have to do when you're lighting a long take that you wouldn't normally do? Uh, be happy with less. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the advice I'd give. Um, I mean. What was the setup on Thunder Road? How many lights did you? It was it was a diva that was, or maybe it was like a four bank above me to the right, um, looking at me, and then stage right, and then there was another smaller one that was blue, that was just a kicker that was in the back, uh, in the back pew, and then there was some bounces out of the windows, and then. Uh, some flags to cover some back windows, but that was it. It was like it was a pretty simple setup, and we lucked out because it's a church, so it had a bunch of rafters, so we could hang lights wherever we wanted right. to. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Yeah. That's um, cool. But yeah, for the other shoots, uh, I worked with Drew again. He shot four of the episodes, and then uh, Lowell Meyer, the cinematographer, shot the other two, and it was all very minimal. Um, I don't think we. I think we used a a, pan, a bounce board for the the meth one. Um, but that was it. And, uh, we just like, we did a lot of lighting in post. I work with this incredible colorist named Bossy Baker, who's based in Silver Lake. And, uh, it's just incredible what you can do in post. Like you can, Mm. you can track people's faces and give them a little kicker. It's like having worked with Bossy, it's like, okay, we don't need that many lights. And since we've just been shooting, like now I know that now that I know that I have Bossy, I'm just like, cool, we'll just shoot a movie next weekend and like i'll light it you know it's great <laughs> nice that's awesome So you guys didn't have to move any of the lights during the take no we didn't have to do it we, we did that for actually one of the episodes um i didn't direct uh this one that i'm i'm in i, I have a small part and i play a border patrol officer while these kids are um high on peyote and uh <laughs> there's a lot of practical light moving and effects and puppetry and like animals and like a bunch of crazy stuff that happens inside of the cab of this car and so that was something that was a very well orchestrated ballet by that whole team that sounds fun yeah i can't wait to see these movies they're cool yeah they sound interesting they're gnarly yeah uh so the release date is tentatively october early october 
um, but we're submitting to film festivals. So if we get into those, we might be withholding until January or February. Mm, and if nice. not, then they'll go online. Um, if not, they'll go online later this year. I think so. Cool. We'll keep a yeah. lookout. Is there anything else that you want to ask Ulrich on the subject of long takes? No, no, not really. Um, I do want to say what's up to Drew Daniels. Um, I realized after watching um, Thunder Road that I know Drew from Berkeley. Um, no yeah, he rented gear from me uh, when I used to work at Studio B. Um, oh, no way. I didn't years know you worked at Studio B. Yeah. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, we, you know, we uh, stayed in touch. We had a beer once or twice, and uh, it's funny. I've been watching his career as he's been doing more and more stuff, and I think I first heard of Thunder Road like from Facebook, actually, because I was wondering, like, when Timothy sent it to me, I was like, "What? I recognize this." And then I was like, "Oh, I probably just saw it from uh, from Sundance." But then when I saw Drew's name on it, I was like, "Oh my god, that's why I know it because you know we're friends on Facebook and everything." So pretty cool it's awesome to hear that drew's doing such amazing work and you know obviously super talented guy so that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah he just but, shot uh, he just shot uh trey schultz's new movie he just shot it comes at night uh for a24 so oh nice i cannot awesome. wait to see that yeah yeah man it's pretty cool but uh but no i just i can't wait to see all these 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 uh these movies man i especially want to see the one about the liquor store and i, I was actually curious because you know i just did um I produced a short movie with one long take in it that involves like um, squibs and like a gun and all this stuff. And we decided to like end our take before we got to the squib stuff just because we didn't want to like have to worry about trying to capture that in one shot with like reloading squibs and all that stuff because we just didn't have time or money. But uh, how many times... Well, first question, like when you, you're talking about the PA spraying the, the actress when she gets shot with the arrow or whatever, um, did you only do that on like takes, like certain takes, or did you do that every time and just re, re like have wardrobe changes? Like how did that work? Yeah, we for had that 16 one? outfits for her. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're not at that level yet, Ulrich. No, I only have two. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was regimented. Wow. That was something where it was like for the first couple of takes we didn't because we were like, all right, this is just a draw. This is just a dress rehearsal. Like we're recording it basically, so we have it, and like that's it. And we just did a bunch of takes, and the arrows kept falling because the magnets weren't strong enough. And I uh, bit into a water bottle. I was so frustrated. Um, and then, uh, and then we got it. We just did like as soon as everything started to come together. It's really like you're working with a team of twenty people, thirty people. Sometimes it's like it takes seeing it a bunch of times in order to like really be on point with like when the timing is going to be right and when to turn and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was a neat orchestration, and I'm very lucky to have as many competent people around me as I do, because I could not do it by myself. So how many t how many wardrobes of her sixteen did you go through? Did you go through all sixteen? All sixteen, or, or less than that? All sixteen. Oh wow! Yeah, we didn't. We ended up using Jeez. the eleventh take from that one, I think, and then no, we ended up using the fourteenth take from that one. But I think we made her do sixteen total. Um, she is a champion. Uh, this actress named wow. um, Faye Ray. She's great. Nice. No, sorry, Ray Gray. Well, little did I know when we invited you on this podcast that you had done so many long take 
projects. Yeah, we we only knew the the one, so it looks like this <laughs> was the perfect topic for you. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, I was happy to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for offering to come on and share your knowledge. This has been like super helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll admit I have a million more questions, but we'll have to save that for another episode just to talk about you know producing movies, like how you get your budgets together, all these kinds of questions you know but we'll have to save that for a future episode if you ever decide to come back yeah dude reach out i'm happy to is there uh, anything you want to share with the audience you want them to check out uh let's see what's good that i've seen lately um oh yeah check out uh check out this this youtube web series called the show about the show by kave zahidi He's out of Brooklyn, and uh, it's really worth checking out. I'll say no more than that, but it's called The Show About the Show, and show it's one of the best, the, the best cool. things on the internet right now. We it's will neat. include nice. a link in our show notes so everyone can check that out. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then where can people find you if they want to reach out and say, uh, hey man, heard you on Making Movies is Hard. That was awesome. Probably Twitter or Vimeo. Like if you're watching Thunder Road, I have like the messaging thing on uh, on Vimeo. So that's kind of like where I tell people to get in touch. Okay. What's yeah. your Twitter handle? It's Jimmy C. That's me. Jimmy nice. C. That's me. Yeah. It's one of those seventh grade email addresses that I still have. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. At least it doesn't have the date of your birth in it. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Alric, you got anything to share this week? I'm going to skip this week. I, all I would talk about is Van Damme movies, and I think people are tired of hearing about those. So, yeah. <laughs> Never. Uh, I have two reviews to read. Actually, I have four reviews. Oh, my God. Four new reviews? Really? Well, get this. This whole time that I've been saying that we don't get reviews or that you can't leave a review on Stitcher, apparently you can. There's, oh, really? <laughs> there's been two reviews on Stitcher for like two months that I oh, really? totally missed. But before I do that, on iTunes, we got, hold on, I have to scroll down to the bottom. <laughs> loading. Bear with loading. me. So Tom Morks uh, says, love this show. This is a great podcast. Timothy and Ulrich are great hosts, and I always learn something new. Thanks, Tom. And then Andy Kansas says, I love your show. I could listen to you guys for hours. Keep it up. Nice. Now, awesome. on to the long Stitcher reviews. Oh, and I'm sorry, long? Jim. Oh, wow. You're just going to have to sit through this for a second. I got to sit through this? I'm exhausted. Can I go to bed, guys? <laughs> <laughs> this will take two minutes. Okay. Okay. Clive Dexter says, unique perspective on filmmaking. As a beginning filmmaker, it can be difficult to find relatable instruction on the subject. Often when people become pr- proficient at their craft, they lose sight of the issues that face a beginner in the field. Although... By no mean novices, the duo at MMIH are still early enough in their game that they haven't lost touch with what it's like to be a novice. Their approach isn't necessarily instructional as it is sharing their experiences as they navigate the world of filmmaking and their own lives. I actually learn more from them than I do from any other podcast on the subject. If you're beginning a filmmaker, I urge you to give these guys a listen. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah, that was a really good one. Thanks, that's, Clive. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm going to save Sarah Adkins to next week because it's almost as long. Oh, and, wow. And it's late. Okay. It's late at night and we're ready for bed. I uh, I thought of something to share while we were doing the those reviews. Um, I, at Comic-Con this weekend, I was lucky enough to meet an artist that I really like that I actually met, like, got connected to through Twitter. His name is Megaran. 
Um, and I don't know if anybody knows who he is. He's a nerdcore rapper. Um, I don't know if anyone knows nerdcore, but, uh, it's basically like rap surrounding video games and (laughs) pop culture. And he does like a whole bunch of albums, uh, around Mega Man. Anyways, uh, I didn't know he was going to be there. And then I just stumbled across his booth and I kind of got like nerded out a little bit and I met him and I got a signed LP and stuff and it was really cool. So if people like video games and rap music, Mega Ran <laughs> is the shit. So uh, we'll leave a link to his uh, to his stuff nice. on there. Cool. Yeah. Well, take us out. Oh, yeah, me. Jeez. Okay. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, you can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to the things we talked about on this episode and links to, to Jim's movies and all that stuff. Um, if you want, you can get in contact with us. You can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. And please, if you like the show, be like these other wonderful people and uh, tell a friend or just uh, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and help us get the word out on the show. And a uh, big, big thank you to Jim Cummings for being yeah, on the show. thanks, Jim. Wonderful guest. Thanks so much, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.